I am glad to be here, glad to be at the indoor third service of your church. <laughs> we came down from Jacksonville, stopped off at St. Augustine Beach yesterday at a condo, visited some friends. I said, it's so cold here. I told my wife, Patty, I said, uh, we got to go, we got to get down to Satellite Beach. It'll be much warmer there. She almost died in Long Duggars last night, surrounded by plastic, not enough to go inside. If she had been in that tent meeting today, we'd be doing a memorial service for my wife right now. Now, I don't know, brother, I don't know if you ever went outside, if you just looked at the forecast. I thought you guys did a great job singing this morning. It, I'd have been more impressed if you'd have been out there this morning. <laughs> I, I, I was, there was a teenager, God bless him. I don't know if he's still alive or not, but his, uh, <laughs> he had shorts on. And his friend, short sleeve shirt. I looked at him, I started laughing, which he really appreciated. And, and I said, uh, what is your name? He said, Gabriel. I said, your mom. She didn't get to dress you this morning, did she? And he, he said no. And she was there and had a great, great time. You'll probably never see that family again or, or, or the son. Uh, I was uh, retired. Oh, I am retired. I'm tired. That's what I am. Uh, for 26 years, I was the pastor of Mandarin. Um, I like the oranges uh, in Jacksonville. And uh, Patty and I have, have been married uh, for uh, 46 years. She's the very attractive blonde with the red mask on here. Sitting next to two people, uh, her friend Penny, who is a therapist from South Florida. What was the weather like this morning there? It was a little cool. Oh, oh we feel your pain. They came out from, <laughs> came out from North Palm Beach. And uh, she's married to uh, Lucky Arnold. Can you imagine Lucky Penny? And uh, Lucky was the pastor of North Palm Beach for 41 years, just retired this, this past fall. They never could figure out how to get rid of him. And, and uh, was down, and uh, they, they came up to, uh, to see us today. If we don't have bishops in the Presbyterian Church, but if there had been one, Lucky would, have been the, Lucky would have been the bishop. I have prayed for your congregation uh, off and on for a few years, for sure. As you went through a pastoral transition, I had a very good friend that I had recommended to be the pastor of the church. I was sure because I was a part of such a large influential congregation that he'd have gotten the job. He called me and I said, did you get it? He said, no, I didn't get a second interview. And, uh, and then he said, please don't recommend me anymore in the future, Kevin. <laughs> and I thought, wow. I can't believe they picked somebody else. And then I met your pastor and have had several times with him. I've gotten to know him. And I think Jason is remarkable. He is a, don't tell him I said that, but he is a gifted, he is a gifted guy. He is a, he's everything my church had wanted me to be. He is a scholar. He's smart. He loves Jesus, loves his family, loves his church, loves the community and is uh, the elected moderator of our presbytery, which is like being the grand poobah, and you can tell him that. You can say, we understand you're the grand poobah of presbytery. 
So when he asked if I would come and, and do this, I, I, I said, sure, in March, I'm sure the weather will be great. <laughs> well, it, it, uh, um, we do have four semi-grown children, and uh, there's a picture maybe of, uh, we have nine grandchildren. This was a couple years ago, so, so we have added. My, our children are like little bunnies. They, they, they keep, uh, they keep pop, popping them out. And uh, just two and a half weeks ago, we had number nine. You know, that was not nearly as loud as I thought it would be. If you could just be like, oh, yeah. It, 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 uh, uh, her name is Karis. It, uh, which is Greek for grace. Her father, unfortunately, is an associate pastor in a Presbyterian church, making $25 a week or something. And uh, it, uh, they, have, they, have, they have three children. Uh, we obviously uh, love, love our grandkids. They're, uh, they're sweet, they're obviously very cute, adorable, it, it, uh, and uh, very vulnerable and uh, very, very fragile. Little Karis, even though she's remarkably cute, is uh, one of almost eight billion people. Almost eight billion. I, I know we're used to trillions because of the deficits. Uh, <laughs> trillion used to be an unimaginable number. It, 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 uh, a billion is a lot. Almost eight, eight, eight billion people. And though their grandfather is a Presbyterian minister, you would think that they would be very godly little people and that they share remarkably well with their siblings and say, oh, you want that toy? Of course you can have that toy. <laughs> it, 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 I'm glad to share they're not that way. They're sinful, they're stubborn. A lot like their grandmother. There is a... <laughs> their other grandmother. Of course, we love them. Nana, as they call my, my wife, I love her in particular. She lets them do pretty much what they want to do. I sugar them up, we sugar them up, give them back to their parents. It, uh, they love to jump on me, wrestle with me. My five-year-old, just turned five this past week, jumped on me about a month ago. And while he was hanging off my back, he whispered in my ear, you wrestle like an old woman. And, uh, <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? At uh, trash-talking your grandfather, and I, I said back to him, you wrestled like your baby sister. It, it, uh, so we have, we, have great, we have a great time with them, and uh, so appreciate their lives. You know, I was telling Gabriel, I picked on teenager at the 9 o'clock service. I said, there was a, a time, Gabriel, when you did not exist. There was a time when you all did not exist. I did not exist. The fact that we exist is... Amazing, truly. It's the best gift of all. I look at our nine grandchildren, and I say thank you, God, for giving them life. Thank you for life, for the possibility of living forever. And so we have prayed. I baptized just about all of them, and we'll you know, take care of the next couple. Um, we pray that they will know and love Jesus as we know and love Jesus.
I haven't always. When I was much younger, uh, that was certainly not, not the case. Not the case for me. Uh, Patty and I got married when we were six. So but I, before then, I did, not, I did not love Jesus so much. So here's the, here's the question. Um, my ministry in young life, ministry through the years of working in the church, uh, having lots of different relatives, the kind that you're glad to see and glad to see go away. Um, uh, we have prayed. I'm sure I've prayed for thousands of people. And most of the time, as your pastor this morning prayed, I, and was shared at the 9 o'clock service, um, pray that they would know Jesus. And the question becomes, will they? Now, my Reformed theology gives me great hope, but the truth is, is that everybody has to decide if that's going to be the case. And what makes me pause is that they're going to experience life like everybody does. They're going to face great challenges. Their hearts will be broken. And they will uh, experience heartaches and pain, and I don't mean just scraped knees, but the kind of pain that can take your breath away. And in such times, they will probably ask themselves, as I have asked myself, and if you've been honest with God, you've asked yourself. Um, if there really is God, why does such stuff happen? Why isn't God just more obvious? Sometimes I wonder, what exactly is God up to? We have, uh, have friends in Jacksonville. Uh, the woman has uh, stage four cancer. And uh, her husband was walking across the top of, uh, overlooking their deck. And, and he's walking across, and it was about 14 feet up in the air. And he stepped through some plywood and crashed, broke uh, legs, pelvis, ribs, really bad. The doctor's like, I'm not sure he's going to walk. Then rehab and um, talking, praying with his wife, who this week is getting ready to go to Arizona and have treatment. That almost for sure because the prognosis is going to be terrible. And I, I think about them, my friends. And I think, uh, wow, God. Uh, so sometimes I wonder, God, what are you up to? It, uh, why are you not more obvious? We want big miracles to happen, and we pray. Even Presbyterians pray for big miracles sometimes. And sometimes they happen, but often uh, they don't. They happened for Oral Roberts University when they played Ohio State to the other night. The, the place where Oral Roberts saw a 900-foot Jesus. It, it uh, actually beat Ohio State. I no longer care about college basketball. And, and uh, Philip Yancey once said that miracles don't happen very often or they would be called ordinaries. 
So when you get frustrated, you're praying for miraculous things to happen, and they don't. Remember that. We look for glorious things to be well, glorious-looking things. We look at treasure to, well, look like treasure. My sons fell in love, wanted to get married to our beautiful future daughter-in-laws. Our daughter-in-laws wanted something on their fingers that looked glorious, not ordinary. They told them they end up paying a lot of money, even though their father said, don't do that. Uh, we yearn and hope that God will show up in big, glorious ways. We hope God will. What happens is, and what I've learned, and clearly what the Bible teaches, is that God often wraps his glory or conceals his glory in very ordinary ways. With ordinary people in ordinary circumstances. Actually, after five decades of ministry and trying to love people to love Jesus, I have learned that it is impressive that God can be so unimpressive. Just like he did with his son, Jesus. It's why so many people struggle to see Jesus as God, because he looked and seemed so ordinary. Just like everybody else, just a Jewish guy, kid of a carpenter. He got hungry, thirsty, tired. He was rejected, beaten, tortured, crucified. What sounds glorious about that? Certainly not like any God that people would pray to. Why pray to a God like that? They want God to be glorious. I want God to be glorious. And I want to I tell you something. I didn't tell the first service because the 12 people that were there were barely awake. <laughs> the most glorious thing, the most glorious thing that God ever did was Jesus being crucified on a cross. So our ideas of glory really get messed up in our culture. What we think looks glorious, you see the glory of God. Jesus is dying on the cross. It's, it's really, really something. And remember this God, this glorious God, who revealed himself in his son Jesus, said that we are made in God's image. But he fashioned us out of dirt, the ordinary dust of the earth. We are a confused mess. Anybody feel like a confused mess? Lucky feels like, but he's a retired pastor, he can't admit it publicly. It is an image of God, yet dust and dirt. We are fragile, we're vulnerable. In fact, we are called jars of clay, which is not exactly high praise, clay pots. Now listen to the Apostle Paul. He describes us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay 
to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. You're reading this, I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, that doesn't sound like Paul's on the winning team to me. It doesn't sound like ORU. They were praising God for what had happened the other night. But remember, Paul is like you and me. Paul is made of dirt. Oh, sure, mom and dad. But nevertheless, dust we were and dust we will be. We are jars of clay, or Philip Yancey. Anybody ever heard of Philip Yancey? It, uh, you need to talk to your pastor. Philip Yancey said, jars of clay are disposable containers of baked dirt. How's that for being impressive? You go out and have a date with somebody, and you come home, and you say, I had an impressive date with my disposable container of baked dirt. When I was a young boy, we used to throw dirt clods at each other. In fact, has anybody had a dirt clod thrown at them? We called each other dirt clods, as a put down for sure. You're a dirt clod. I wasn't a believer, my friends weren't believers, but we were speaking deep, profound, theological truth. We were dirt clods. In fact, you are dirt cloth. I'm a dirt cloth, and I can tell you that because I'm not your pastor, and I'm probably never going to come back here again. <laughs> now, why would God put the treasure of the light of the presence of Jesus Christ in dirt cloths? Paul's answer, in part, is that so that no one would confuse us with being the saviors of the world. God is teaching us about how what he's up to in our world. In fact, it, uh, he hides his glory often in unremarkable circumstances. And we can miss what God is doing if we don't want to look beyond the obvious. Paul in this passage actually has given us a glimpse of what happened in the ancient world. Those ordinary clay pots he uses to teach us the truth because people in that day would sometimes take their treasure and hide them in clay pots. Who would put their treasure in disposable baked dirt? And that's just what God does with the likes of people like you and me. He shines his treasure in us, dirt clods, Jason's a dirt clod. Even though we crack and break and we don't look impressive, we look ordinary. Remember, just as human, as fragile as Jesus was. Those clay pots or those pictures, they're not very impressive. One of them someday may have a begonia in it. Who wants to kiss a pot with a begonia in it? I'd rather look like a Wimbledon trophy. Because Wimbledon trophies get kissed. They're admired. They're impressive. Paul doesn't refer to us as Wimbledon trophies. Paul refers to us in terms of who we are. Clays, clay jars, 
We're not meant to look impressive or perfect on the outside, but we are to contain something beautiful on the inside, which is often not easily visible. It, uh, we want to look impressive and we want to look all together, but we aren't either of those. I had somebody years ago show up at our church and they said, I just don't think, I don't think I could fit in here. And I said, why? And she said, everybody looks like they have it all together. I said, you don't know these people like I know these people. These people are a mess. It, it, uh, if you're a mess, you're going to feel very comfortable here. Paul did not look like he was on the winning team. Talked about being beaten, persecuted, perplexed, struck down. Actually, in chapter 1, he says he despaired of life. That's how bad it got. The Apostle Paul. But Paul came to understand that even though he oversaw the execution of Christians, that when our pots crack and break and we do stuff we shouldn't do, that God does not discard us. Instead, God wants to transform us. I don't know if you've heard of the concept wabi-sabi. Nobody at the other two services had any idea. People at the first service, I think, slept through this part of the message. Wabi-sabi is a Japanese philosophy. The act of embracing the flawed and the imperfect. Kintsugi is a Japanese form of art where they take a broken pot or bowl that has been broken in pieces and they mend it back together using this risen that has either silver or gold and, and they create um, something that is remarkably beautiful by mending those pieces back together. In fact, kintsugi means the golden Mend, M-E-N-D. Now in our culture, we shun stuff that looks old and ragged and beat up and we have plastic surgeries and our fruit is genetically made to be large and colorful and look perfect. And, and instead, the art of kintsugi represented in this this bull you're looking at. The sense is, is that it's not just a nifty way to do something. It makes it actually look unique and more special, doesn't it? Now, the Japanese, God bless them, and this philosophy can do this with uh, things that break. God, the promise of the gospel is that God does that in our lives. He takes the places and the cracks and the fissures in our life and he uses a golden mend to make something that is more beautiful. It is unique. The Kintsugi way is to continue the tale of adventure of a piece of pottery to show a new beauty that comes through even when it's been broken. The gospel is that our past, often which there are parts that I talk with people and they do not want anyone to know what they did, what happened to them, 
that God wants them to bring that to him, that they can be a part of and experience that golden mend. God uses our story and the brokenness of our past for a new redemptive beauty. Our world is full of broken hearts. My church was full of broken hearts, broken spirits, broken relationships. We see damaged goods all around us. It was more obvious at the 9 o'clock service out of the tent. We see it in ourselves when we are courageous enough to go there. Hard to do. My friend Penny, who was a therapist, would tell you it's hard for people to do. To face the stuff. Dare I say the crap in their life. Oh, wait, no, wait, this is being taped. You can edit that out. In fear of rejection, we'd rather cover up the damaged parts and work harder to put our best foot out front for others to see. It's an exhausting way to live. I just decided 26 years ago, I was just going to let the church know that I was a dirt clod and share my cloddiness every week. And that's what we did. We lived out the tragedies of our lives, the disappointments of our lives, my anxiety, panic attacks, times of great depression in our family, stuff that would take your breath away. And they were glad to be a part of such a place because that's who they were too. You know, I'm grateful for the Apostle Paul doesn't hide the awful circumstances and struggles. He shares them and reminds us that God is present, has a hold on us. First is saying. Most of the people in the Bible, I think just about every single one that God used in the Bible, we see the cracks, the problems, sin. Moses had an anger and speech problem. Jonah was as selfish as my two-year-old. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. The Samaritan woman had a whole string of divorces, more than Elizabeth Taylor. Not to be older to know who that is. Not as many as Larry King, bless him. Zacchaeus had engaged in extortion. Peter was hot-headed, impulsive, and temperamental. Naomi was a bitter widow. Elijah was suicidal. Leah was the homely sister. Joseph was abused and abandoned. Jacob was a liar and a schemer. Martha worried about everything. Timothy had an ulcer. Noah got drunk. And my favorite, Lazarus was dead. Arguably, in fact, I don't really think it's a debate. The most significant Christian that ever lived is the Apostle Paul. We had a, a daughter who was in China as a missionary. We went over to be with her for a couple of years. Patty, Patty, went, Patty went three years. They wouldn't let me come back the third year because I offended everyone that I was there. Probably calling them dirt clods, but anyway. It... it uh, there was a Chinese pastor that I, I got familiar with. His name was Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee was a Chinese pastor in the 50s and the 60s when it was really hard being a Christian in China. Rested, beaten. He wrote a variety of books. One was called uh, The Normal Christian Life. I was just really impressed with the fact that here's this guy on the other side of the world who's trying to figure out how to love God, and it was tremendously costly for him. It was like, and as he would be reading Paul's letters, and he, was, he would be so sound and so amazed at this man, he began to feel like, but Paul is different. He's different. He's the Apostle Paul. 
But, but then he wrote, one day, as I read in 2 Corinthians, Paul was sorrowful, and I thought, was Paul really sorrowful? I read that he shed tears, and he said, did Paul really cry? I read that Paul suffered in his hand, and I'm thinking, did Paul really suffer, the apostle Paul? I read that he was burdened in the spirit even of his life. I asked, did Paul really despair? As I continued reading, I saw that there were many things of which I had never thought. I had never considered that a person like Paul would have these problems. I began to realize that Christians are not another type of angel. People are not looking for Christians to be real spiritual. People aren't looking for Christians to be angels. We're not meant to be angels. We are dirt clods who have been empowered by God and his spirit to shine in the midst of our own earthiness. Sometimes I'll have people that I have loved, and I've had a variety of people that I have loved very dearly who have died. And I'll tell somebody, and, and they will just, sometimes, not always, but there will be occasional that will say, don't be sad, they're with, they're with the Lord. Don't, don't be sad. And I'll say, I love them. I miss them. I'm sorry they're gone. I know they're with Christ, and I'm grateful. And I look forward to being with them. But allow me the humanity to be sad right now. It, it is, people aren't looking for us to shine like angels, and we are meant to be human beings. So, so watch me, he says. God did not put a race of angels on the earth and, and said, these are the Christians. Your friends aren't looking for you to be more spiritual. They're looking for you to care, to be a human being. We don't save people. There is a God, and it's not us. Amen? And then he says, I also began to see that Paul was very close. He was not far off. Paul was someone I know. He was not a stranger. I know him because I saw that he was also just a man. He was a guy who struggled and had weaknesses, but God moved in those and gave him strength in the midst of the weaknesses. Now, the circumstances that Paul lived and all those things and all those people were that I read, they don't define who they are or who they were. They're defined by the relationship with God. And I love the Bible because the Bible does not omit weaknesses and problems and sins. Even as they're describing all these people and the great victories they had and the parting of the Red Sea. But just like the art of Kintsugi, the broken pieces weren't something to be thrown out that we were part of the redemptive story, one that God gracefully wrote despite their flawed personalities of broken humanity and their obvious weaknesses to bring about a golden mend in their lives. At the chapter 12, the Apostle Paul was struggling with a physical ailment. He calls it a thorn. We don't know what it was. It may have been a speech problem. It may have been a vision problem. Who, who knows? He said that he called out to God with a, uh, oh, please, I could be so much more effective, God. You would take away this thorn. Paul says, I actually begged God three times, the Apostle Paul, 
please take this away. I can hear him saying, I could be so much more effective. I could serve you so much better. And God said, no. No. And then said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. I don't need you to be great, Paul. I don't need you to look perfect. I don't need you to be physically strong and fully capable. I need you to trust me. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength will be made perfect in your weakness. So Paul said, okay, I get it. I can be strong through God's grace, even though I'm weak and I have this thorn that I'm trying to get away from, and he couldn't do it. Now, the message translation of this passage, your pastor, I don't think, likes the, the message, so don't tell him I, I, wrote, I read this to you. Because of the extravagance of these revelations, Paul writes, and so I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap. Think of that, the gift of a handicap. To keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he, in fact, did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift. <laughs> well, you know. And begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and then he told me, my grace is enough, it's all you need, my strength comes into its own, in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was the case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take my limitations in stride and with good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. So the weaker I get, the stronger I become. The gift of a handicap. Wow. My friend who just found out this past year has MS. The gift of a handicap? A thought. Worth another sermon, another time. C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone to arouse a deaf world. To say, there is a God and it is not me. And I need God. It is, uh, there is truly a beauty waiting to be discovered when we begin to realize that God is using all the, everything in our lives, even the stuff we don't want. But we want to get rid of. God wants to take our brokenness, our pain, our failures, our weaknesses, our fractured relationships, our shattered dreams, disappointments, our cracked personalities, to bring about a very, very beautifully redemptive story. Romans 8.28 says that God is working in all things for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. I think of that as the golden men. Now, there's times I doubt. I know I do. I think if we're honest, we probably all struggle and doubt because we all have thorns in our lives, right? What is your thorn? What is your handicap? Maybe it was a divorce, abortion, arthritis, depression, anxiety, unemployment. Maybe you've been abandoned at some point. Maybe it's the COVID virus. Maybe it's addiction. My former church, I think we are the most addicted group of people in America. Bossy neighbor, maybe, cranky boss, maybe a dysfunctional parent. None of us are without sin. 
None of us are perfect. We're all flawed people, cracked pots. That doesn't disqualify us. With God or render us useless, it means that God can and will use us all. The dirt clods that we are to shine the light of Jesus through even you and me and hopefully, hopefully, prayerfully, my children, my grandchildren will trust God to use even their handicaps, their thorns, their pain, their disappointments, their sin. That they'll trust God to make something beautiful out of all of that stuff with their lives forever. I'll give Paul the last word after he's described how bad things are. All the stuff he's been through. 2 Corinthians 12, 14 through 16. He says, so we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes. Compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow. The things we can't see now will last forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. May the Lord bless this place. May the Lord bless everyone who is listening or will listen. And may you learn to be able seriously to share in such a way that you look like a piece of kintsugi and God will see the golden mend. That's the gospel. He takes our stuff and puts it all back together forever and ever.